0: Phil said this morning we'll be in Acts chapter 2, and we'll be starting in verse 1, reading all the way through verse 13. When you're there, say, made it. All right, most of us. Acts 2, beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at the sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered They are filled with new wine. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, yes and amen. Good morning, Westside. We are glad that you're here. Um, If it's your first Sunday here, man, what a text of Scripture and a place to be in. Man, we've got tongues of fire, all types of controversial stuff, and everybody will leave offended today, and we love you. Welcome to Westside. We're glad you're here. But hey, we are in our series through the book of Acts, and we always take this time of the year to sort of look at the vision of the church and who we are And so we are looking at the book of Acts with the series entitled Rooted and Renegade. And so what we've said is disciples of Jesus are rooted in the words of Jesus. And we are renegades in the works of Jesus. And so if you want to catch up on this series, you can go to our website and check out what we have been looking at today. Listen, I'm very excited today. This is a massive passage of scripture and i would say this apart from the incarnation that we um, celebrate around christmas apart from the resurrection the death and resurrection of jesus christ that we celebrate on good friday in easter i would say the next most important event that happens in the new testament is the day of pentecost And so this is going to be a two-part message as we're going to deal with some particulars today, and then we will deal with the rest of chapter two next week. But I'm very excited about this. And this is the thought that I sort of want to start us with today, and it's this, moments make movements. Any great movement that we see and look back upon in history, we can almost always trace it back to a significant moment. And so I thought about some of the great movements in history. Um, How about this one, the signing of the Declaration of the Independence? I mean, goodness gracious, like this was such a moment when our founding fathers um, came and signed this declaration And then John Hancock signs it so big, as he says, because he didn't want the king to have to remove his glasses in order to see the signature. I mean, this moment literally created such a movement, a movement known as the United States of America. Or how about this? Um, Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. I mean this man was a genius leading a nation that was so broken and so torn that literally this speech he knew would be printed in the newspapers and it's only about 170 words and we know that from the giving of the Gettysburg address that that was a defining moment that we see through the abolition movement and then we continue on through history how about bloody sunday As we see during the civil rights campaign, as they marched across that bridge in Selma, Alabama, and they were told, if you march across this bridge, you will be met with violence. But what they knew about that moment was, this was the first moment that it was televised. And so everybody had heard and seen in the newspapers about the violence that had been taking place. But at this moment, it was televised and the civil rights movement was thrusted into people's living rooms, literally. And then we continue on with that great speech from Dr. Martin Luther King, I Have a Dream. This moment that signified that the civil rights movement was not going anywhere or even think about this the 60s when it comes to woodstock okay I don't really know what good came out of these three days. Um, A lot of debauchery and stuff. Some really good music, okay? Some really, really good music. But when you think about this, and people look back, Vietnam, everything is taking place. This moment was a defining moment in the movement of the 60s. And then when you continue on and you think about human advancement and the landing on the moon, if you believe in that kind of stuff, okay, right? Um, Why is the flag blowing? There's no wind, okay, right? Um, All of you conspiracy theorists and your little tinfoil hats, all right? This, This was a significant moment in human history. And then thinking even more about technology, that moment that Steve Jobs stood on a stage and said, what if you could get a phone call, check your email, send a fax, and do seven other things that require four different devices all on one device. And then this moment could be the end of... No, I'm just kidding, right? The phone, the phone, right? Here's what I'm saying. All great movements get boiled down to a significant moment. And most of the time, those movements didn't even know that they were a movement until that moment. And if I were to say this, that Christianity as we know it now was nothing like what it is today as we arrive at Acts chapter 2. Remember, we've been in Acts 1 for a couple of weeks and they have been waiting on this moment. Jesus has literally said that you need to be in this room, you need to wait because the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you can trace the origin of the movement of Christianity to the moment of Pentecost. Now, of course the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the heart of our faith. But if you notice, the death, burial, burial and resurrection of Jesus only had, after that, about 120 disciples as his followers. We see in Acts chapter 2 that after this moment that there is, it goes from 120 to 3,000 followers in just a moment. And now, um, a lot of historians don't know what to do with the significance of this moment. Um, There's one guy by the name of Rodney Stark, who's a sociologist, and he's been at Stanford and Harvard, and he has more degrees in Fahrenheit and all of that good stuff, okay? And he has looked at the movement of Christianity, particularly in the first 300 years, And he would say that this moment is a defining moment. And he says this, Christianity did not grow because of miracle working in the marketplaces, although that has and was taking place. Or because Constantine said it should be the national religion. Or even because the martyrs gave it such credibility. It grew because Christians constituted and created an intense community like the world had never seen. And the primary means of its growth was through the united and motivated efforts of the growing number of Christian believers who invited their friends, families, relatives, and neighbors to share this good news Now, he's looking at that from literally just a sociological perspective, um, the left brain data and all of that. But even in his words and in his book, The Rise of Christianity, you're almost left with there's got to be something else at work here. Because it literally, this graph will help you with the spread of Christianity, We literally see for the first 300 to 350 years that Christianity is up and to the right, as you accountants say, that it literally goes from a small band of 120 to 3,000 that literally in just 300 to 350 years, thirty million Christians were reported to be living in Rome. That was the majority of the Roman population at the time. Now, how in the world could 120 disciples, many of them misfits, a majority of them were common blue-collar laborers, fishermen, think about it as just being a factory worker today, just an honest worker, hard worker, now through these 120 comes 30 million followers. There's got to be something else at play here. And I would argue this, and this is our big idea in the thesis today, that the source of the Christian life is the Holy Spirit. That is the source of the Christian life. That it is not just these 120 followers. That it is not just Peter standing up on the day of Pentecost preaching one of the best sermons that anybody's ever heard. That there is something, or rather, there is someone else at play, and it is the Holy Spirit. And so today, we're going to be looking at and understanding the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. We're not going to get into the weeds on some particulars, but by far, the lead character and the dominant role in Acts chapter 2 is not, not the disciples is not Peter's sermon. It is the Holy Spirit. And I love what the theologian John Stott says. Without the Holy Spirit, Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, even impossible. There can be no life without the life giver. No understanding without the spirit of truth. No fellowship without the unity of spirit. No Christ-likeness of character apart from his fruit and no effective witness without his power as a body without breath is a corpse. So the church without the spirit is dead. Yes. And amen. The Holy spirit is the source of the Christian life. And that moment of Pentecost being so significant to those Jewish believers, Through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit becomes the movement of Christianity. And listen, can I just say this and just be up front today? I believe that as we walk through this passage, I believe that as we understand the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, I believe that there can be a moment in your life where God creates a movement. Because I believe some of us have relationships that seem to be dead. Some of us have a job status that seems to be pending. Some of us have health issues. I don't know what is going on in your life, but I know that all of us desire some sort of change and some sort of movement of God in our life. And listen, I believe that that can happen in a moment through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So listen, here's what we need to do. I need to do a little bit of teaching before we dive in. Um, because in our area, there's sort of two great extremes when it comes to the understanding of the Holy Spirit. The first one is this. I would call it an underemphasis. Some of us maybe grew up with a background where it was more Father, Son, and Holy Bible. Okay? We just... We don't really know about the Holy Ghost. That stuff kind of freaks us out. And so for us to get real crazy in worship would be about right here, okay? That's about as wild as we're going to get. Maybe on Christmas Eve when they ask us to hold up the candle, oof, oof, spirits move, okay? So, uh, you know, a lot of us grew up in that environment, maybe where it was sort of maybe head knowledge. It was very academic. It was Father, Son, and Holy Bible, right? And then some of us grew up in an environment where the Holy Spirit was everything, okay? Somebody passes gas or you run over a tire going to church, and you're like, it's the devil, it's the spirits are out and they're after me, and the wind blew today, and the leaves rustled in front of my door, and I believe it was God's, I mean, it's just everything. And there, what I would like to call is an unhealthy Overemphasis of that. Hey, listen, I don't want to be in either one of those camps. What I want to be in is I want to be in the Bible camp. I want to be rooted in God's Word, but I want to be a renegade empowered by the very Spirit of God. And what becomes so difficult about the understanding of the Holy Spirit is we would love to put it in a box. We would love to put God the Holy Spirit in a box because God the Holy Spirit oftentimes does things that we can't necessarily explain. God the Holy Spirit is the one that presses us to the edges. God the Holy Spirit is the one that leads us into the unknown. But here at Westside, we use this type of language. We have what we called close-handed issues and open-handed issues. Okay? So when it comes to close-handed issues, these are the doctrines of the faith that orthodox Christians have believed for thousands of years. That these things have been settled. Like Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. That's not up for debate. We're not going to have a discussion about that. We believe that the word of God and the Christian faith has settled an issue like that. Um, Is God's word without error and in Inspired by God. Yes, and amen. Those are close handed issues. But now there's also open handed issues. So, for example, a close handed issue would be the return of Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus Christ is coming back visibly and coming back physically. Amen. I mean, that's really good news for the state of the world, right? I mean, that is good news. Jesus is coming back. But an open handed issue is when is he coming back and what are the signs of the times? So there's a number of people that believe a number of things. There's some of you who believe in a rapture and you've got string theory and charts and you wear a pocket protector and you've got a real thick Schofield reference Bible and all of that good stuff. And you're like, well, didn't you see? This nation's do- that's great and that's awesome. I'm not a big rapture guy, but if that does happen, I'll high five you in the air and as we're going to heaven, that'll be great, Okay. Listen, that's an open-handed issue. We are not at Westside going to divide over those things. We will be united in the essentials, as Augustine said, but we will have liberty and freedom in these non-essentials. So the three things that I'm getting ready to cover when it comes to a theology of the Holy Spirit, these are close-handed issues. These have been settled through the Orthodox faith. And the first thing is this, as God's person, the Holy Spirit is fully God and the third member of the Trinity, the tri-unity. This is the great mystery of our faith. One God, but three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Before there was anything, there wasn't something. Before there was anything, there was someone God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit living in community together. Now, the second thing is this. As God's presence, the Holy Spirit is God with us. That is how, if you notice, the storyline of the Bible can literally be summarized as God with us. No matter if it's in the Old Testament or no matter if it's in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit is omnipresent all places with all believers at all times. And then the last thing is this. As God's power, the Holy Spirit empowered the life of Jesus. This is something that I never hear talked about. People always want to get to the Holy Spirit and they immediately want to jump to the supernatural gifts and get into all of the super varsity Christian stuff they think. But the reality is, is when you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus lived a spirit-filled life. That the whole goal of the Holy Spirit and the point of the Holy Spirit is to point to Jesus. That's what we see. That Jesus literally says with his disciples, I am going to go, but the Father is going to send a helper that will be with you. And he will bring to remembrance all of the words that I have spoken to you. This is what we know as the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. He is God's person. For, for all of you Star Wars fans, love you guys, okay, but the Holy Spirit is not the force, all right? It's not an energy. It's not, you know, this, that, and the other. The Holy Spirit is a person. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has language in the New Testament. Jesus uses the pronoun he, all of these things. The Holy Spirit is God's presence. It is the very Spirit of God. As the Apostle Paul said, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same Spirit that now indwells in you. And the Holy Spirit is God's power. Listen, there is no other provision God has not given you any other provision in the Christian life to live the Christian life other than the Holy Spirit. Listen, we as believers have to get back to the fact and understand that the Christian life is a supernatural life. That the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self control, those are fruit of a supernatural life. So, as we see a quick understanding of the Holy Spirit, I believe in the message today for the application in the text, we're going to see three quick things. Because the significance that we have to focus on is what they say in verse 12. Do you see what they say there in verse 12? After everything happens, there's all of these words like amazed, bewildered, perplexed. I mean, this is a moment that is creating a movement, and everybody is aware of it. But then they ask this question, but what does this mean, right? I love the Bible. I mean, just read the Bible. It will tell you what's happening. So this is part one of understanding how the moment of Pentecost can create the movement known as Christianity. And as we ask this question, what does it mean? I think we'll see three things. We'll see an outside, a power that's on the outside a fullness that's on the inside, and then a message that is worldwide, okay? So the first thing is this. We see power from the outside. Here it is. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house, Now, verse 1, when it says, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, that's a big deal. Luke is telling us something significant. So in the Old Testament, the people of Israel had what was known as feasts because their calendar created their culture, much just like we live today. We have New Year's and Christmas and Easter and significant dates that shape the culture of our lives. The same thing was true in the Old Testament. When God parted the Red Sea for the people of Israel and got them out of the bondage of slavery, what we see take place after that, 50 days after God got them out of the Red Sea, Moses, goes, or Charlton Heston, depending on your age, goes up the mountain and gets the Ten Commandments from God. And the people celebrated that for years to come as the celebration of the giving of the law. Now check this out. This is how cool your Bible is. This is one story, man. This is like the best movie that you've ever seen. God in the Old Testament saved the people from the bondage of slavery out of Egypt and the parting of the Red Sea and Passover the slaughtering of the lamb, and the blood on the doorpost. Oh, but listen to this. In the New Testament, God sends His Son, Jesus Christ, the greater Passover, and Jesus dies on Good Friday, which would have been that Passover day, and then He resurrects, and for 50 days after Jesus' resurrection, He spends time with His disciples, and on the 50th day, God sends the Holy Spirit as shown that he is still God with us. Look at how the Old Testament is still telling and pointing the story to Jesus in the New Testament. This is one whole story and it all points to Jesus. And we see the significance of this that takes place. Now, we have to look at every word in the text. When the day of Pentecost arrived, we talked about the significance. They were all together in one place. Now here it is. And suddenly... There came, this is really important, from heaven, from heaven. You need to underline that there in your Bible. A sound, and then you need to circle this word, like a mighty rushing wind. Okay, Luke is writing to us describing something. Did Luke say that the Holy Spirit was a mighty rushing wind? no he did not he said it was like a mighty rushing wind he's trying to teach us something here and 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 just think about this have you ever been around like strong winds maybe like a tornado or a hurricane um my aunt lives down in pensacola florida And she's lived through multiple of those hurricanes. Hurricane Sally, I believe, was the last one. And it was so powerful there in Pensacola Beach that it took out the bridge because some barges got loose. But the wind, listen to this, was so strong that it blew water into the house and the house is all sealed up and hurricane-proof and all this, but it didn't matter. There was nothing that human ingenuity could do to stop the water from getting inside that house because the wind was so strong. That's what Luke is trying to describe to us. But here's what's so significant. It came from heaven. It came from heaven, which signifies this. The power that Jesus promised his disciples did not come from inside them. It came from outside of them. Here's the statement. The power of God comes from outside of us to the inside of us. Now listen, why am I spending time on this and why is this so significant? Because this is the antithesis of the message that the culture tells you every day of your life. And I've got 30, 35 minutes, maybe 40, 45, some time. okay, on a Sunday to tell you that that's the wrong message. That the message that's anti-gospel is you have what it takes. Just search within. There's a spark of goodness in you and you just need to look deep down inside. Listen, that is a message of despair, not a message of hope. That if you tell somebody who is on the brink of hopelessness and despair and darkness and you tell them to look within themselves, all you're doing is adding to their burdens. But Christianity's good news is that the power of God comes from heaven. It comes down to mankind. Mankind does not work his way up in order to get the power from God, but God sends that power down. To even make this more applicable, there was a New York Times article a number of years ago by a lady by the name of Lori Gottliff. The title of the article was, What Brand Is Your Therapist? She writes in the article about starting her business as a clinical practicing therapist. She said she got all of the degrees, went through all of the schooling, printed off business cards, did all of these things, and just thought people would start knocking at the door. And in the article, she says these words. The reality is nobody wants therapy or to work on themselves in therapy anymore. You see, what they want is they want to buy a solution to a problem. This is something that I've discovered as I've been uh, practicing and launched my business. Now, here's what it says. She found as people came, they would say this. They want someone else or something else to change. I see fewer and fewer people every year saying, I want to change, and more and more people saying every year they need to change. Do you understand the significance of that? She says that a healthy response is to say the phrase, I need help, I need to change. We call this self-awareness, self-reflection. Being aware that there is a brokenness in us that needs fixing. But she says the majority of people say this now. They don't say this. People say they need to change. They need to get some help. Can can I just say something really quick? It doesn't matter if you're a self-righteous person. Pharisee, or if you are an angry, agnostic believer in the gospel. Both of those statements are rooted in pride. So when you have conversations with your significant other or people that live life with you in community, and they bring something to you and say, hey, you might be unaware of this, but in our relationship, I feel, ble- I, I feel like sometimes you don't hear me. I feel like that I'm being used. And your response is, well, that's just something that you need to work on. You are in a very dangerous place. But if you are somebody who can humbly say, I need help, Thank you for saying that. Listen, I'm saying all of that to say this. The first step to being a Christian is confessing the fact that you are broken on the inside and only God has the power to make you whole. When we sing amazing grace, I once was lost, but now I'm found. In order to say that you've been saved by grace, you were also confessing at the same time that you were lost in your rebellion. So what we see of the significance of the Holy Spirit coming on the day of Pentecost is that it is now a power that is on the inside of us. And here's what makes it so significant. In the Old Testament, we would always see this phrase. You know, Samson gets ready to 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 be the hero, and it says that the Spirit of God rushed upon him. Never in the Old Testament do we see the language that the Spirit of God was inside them. It says that it rested upon them, because do you know where the Spirit of God was in the Old Testament? In the temple, in the Holy of Holies. It could only dwell there. But now when you fast forward and you see that the Holy Spirit now lives inside of believers and the significance of when the Apostle Paul says, do not defile your body for your body is the temple of the living God. The significance now is that God has come to dwell inside of us. That's the good news. So it's power on the outside. But the second thing is this. It's also fullness on the inside fullness on the inside. This is where people miss the forest for the sake of the tree, right? Verse 3, And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, we're going to get to the significance of the tongues and the other languages in just a second. But when it comes to as of fire, okay, you have to think wind, the Holy Spirit came like wind. Did the Holy Spirit and did they actually have a tongue that was on fire on them? No, no. It is as of Luke is describing something to us. And here's what you need to know. Fire in the Old Testament was always a symbol of God's presence, Always a symbol of God's presence. You're like, what? I've never heard that. Do you have scripture to back that up? I'm glad you asked. Yes, I do. Um, what, what was God speaking out of to Moses? It was a bush that was, was on fire, right? Oh, yeah. Um, whenever God led the people of Israel by day, it was with a cloud. Um, but at night, it was a pillar of, of fire. Whenever Daniel and his boys don't bow down to the idol, they get thrown into the fiery furnace, but there's a fourth man that's in there who appears to be like the Son of God, who is Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. What we see is that fire is always a symbol of God's presence. So, what is the significance now in light of this new covenant Moses isn't on the mountain giving us 10 things that we have to do. Jesus Christ has now given us the very spirit of God. What's the significance of this fire? What are they experiencing? Now, listen, this is where you should always let Scripture interpret Scripture. Because what some people do is they'll take one verse and they will run with it like a renegade, okay? But what we have to do is we have to let Scripture interpret Scripture. So... When we see another baptism in the New Testament, we need to ask ourselves what this means. How about Jesus' baptism in Matthew 3? When Jesus is baptized, it says this, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately, he went up from the water and behold, anytime you see the word behold, you just need to get ready and buckle up because something cool is about to happen. And behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw, here it is, The Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on Him. Well, what's the significance of that? What happens in that moment? This, and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. This is a recreation. Remember Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was dark and formless without void. And the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. The word hovered there literally means fluttered like a dove. And God said and spoke things into existence. I see the Word of God. I see the Son of God. I see the Spirit of God. This is a new creation. And so the very thing that's happening on Pentecost is the same thing that's happening with Jesus. And then when I cross-reference that with Romans chapter 8, verse 16, what's the purpose of the Spirit of God? The purpose of the Spirit is the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Listen, first and foremost, what the Spirit of God does in your life is He not only anoints you for power, for the work of God, but He affirms in you that you are a child of God. The significance of that is literally earth-breaking. Let me see if I can illustrate it this way. Um, There was a famous uh, theologian. Here's the sentence. Um, Back up. When it comes to your salvation... God the Father planned it, God the Son paid for it, and God the Holy Spirit applies it. That's how the Trinity works unto your salvation. We see that God planned it from the ages before the foundations of the earth, that Jesus Christ paid for that bloody covenant in his own blood, and the Spirit of God, before there's any miraculous power, applies that salvation to your life. But what is that application like? What's the sig- Remember, what does this mean? What does this mean? Um, it means this. The famous theologian Thomas Goodwin of the 17th century had a fantastic illustration. He said, What is the significance of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and what does he apply? He said, Imagine this Imagine you see a father and a son walking down the road. Now, the son is holding the father's hand walking next to him. Is that son a son of the father? Yes, but there's a moment where they look at each other and the father scoops the son up, brings him into his arms, wrestles him, loves him, kisses him, and says, I love you, I'm so glad you're my son, and then puts him back down and they begin to walk. Thomas Goodwin says these words. Was the little boy more of a son in his father's arms than he was down on the street? Well, legally, no. He was as much a son in the arms of the Father as He was walking next to His Father. Legally, there was no difference. But experientially, there was all the difference in the world. When the Father scooped up the Son and experienced and applied His love to Him, the Son experienced that love in a whole new level. And what God the Holy Spirit does for us as believers, it it applies the love of the Father to us. And I just have to ask you, have you ever experienced that moment where you have felt the love of God wash over you in a way that you have never felt before? Primarily before anything else happens, this is the job of the Holy Spirit and it brings a fullness on the inside of us. And then the last thing is this, is it's a message that's worldwide. What's the significance of the tongues that are taking place here? Well, um, it's this. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered. Now here it is. Because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. Oftentimes, people mistake this speaking of tongues with the speaking of tongues that the Apostle Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians. These are not the same. What is happening here is a moment where people are traveled and come from all different regions. They literally list them. That's why it's listed. And the power of the Holy Spirit comes on the disciples and they stand up and they speak in a dialect that they had not previously known. And that dialect is then understood by those people from that region. It's like when people from Kennet come to Popper Bluff and start talking, right? (laughs) Or you're like, you ain't from around here, are you, okay? It's a dialect that is understood. But what is the purpose? The purpose is this. The purpose is the proclamation of the gospel. That's what the disciples are saying in that moment. And so what's the significance of this? Because they say it multiple times. They're speaking, they're speaking, they're speaking in other tongues. The significance is this. Listen, the whole gospel is for the whole world. It's not just for us. It's not just for little America on this side of the globe. Hey, listen, newsflash, this might just rock your world, but Jesus wasn't white. He did not look like a lost member of the Beach Boys holding a little clean lamb. Have you ever been around a lamb? They smell like poop, okay? All of that stuff is our rendering of what that looks like. And listen, I believe that you really start to mature in your discipleship as a believer when your heart starts breaking for other Christians in other countries. That when you see what's happening in China or this, Afghanistan, believers right now today that are hiding for their life that's why for us we have become a part of the grace family of churches and the significance that they have you can go to their website and check this out is they have an initiative to reach the muslim people billions of people who don't know the gospel of jesus christ and our church is going to be involved in that why because the whole gospel is for the whole world And what other people groups would we want to reach than those that are on your TV and your news stations every single night? Guys, listen, we don't need to really pray about some things. Sometimes God just gives us a direct sign. And this is a message that is for the whole world. So as the band comes and leads us in a time of response, how in the world could a band of misfits of just 120 go to 30 million in 300 years? Well, because when the Spirit of God shows up in just a moment, it can create a movement like the world has never seen before. I want to close with this story. There's a pastor by the name of Dr. Thomas Long. One Sunday, he was preaching at his little country church about the day of Pentecost. And he kept saying Pentecost Sunday in his sermon. Well, as he was preaching, there were three little girls that sat up in the front every Sunday. And as he was preaching about Pentecost Sunday, two of them weren't really paying attention. They were wondering, one was falling asleep, Dr. Thomas Long says, but the third one was on the front row, eyes as big as headlights listening to every single word that dr thomas long was saying and dr thomas long kept saying pentecost sunday wind and fire and power and all of these miracles and after his sermon was done that little girl that was paying attention ran straight up to him and said oh pastor oh pastor Hearing about Pentecost Sunday was incredible. I'm so sad that I missed last Sunday. She thought Pentecost Sunday was last Sunday. And Dr. Thomas Long was talking about what had happened in their church last Sunday. And as he was closing up the church and in his office, he says these words. The beautiful thing about that." is not that she misunderstood the whole point of what I was teaching. The beautiful thing is this. She thought Pentecost could happen in our church. In her church. That God's Spirit could come down and do those miraculous things that He did in the Bible. That He could do it today. Faith like a child. I don't know what you have going on, but I know all of us need a move of God in our life. And what I'm here to tell you today is that it just takes a moment. So in closing, I have these questions for us to ponder before we come and partake of communion. The first one is this. Do you believe the Holy Spirit can in a moment cause a movement in your life? Do you believe that? The second one is this, what is the Spirit of God saying to you? And the third one is this, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? They were in the room in an act of obedience And through that obedience, God pours out the power. And when the power comes, a movement happens. Listen today, I believe it. I've given my life to this message that I believe that God can restore marriages, that I believe that God can restore relationships, that I believe through the power of the Spirit of God that God can heal people, that I believe that God can save people that are far from Him, that I believe that what God did in the Bible is still the God of today do we believe this will we give our life to this I believe it just takes a moment and then a movement happens And so the balls in your court Holy Spirit we ask today that you would come in this place God we ask that you would move in our lives in a very significant way God there are so many needs in this church there's so much that's going on within the life of our church. May we be a people that are dependent upon you, Jesus. God, may we know that the power is on the inside, or on the outside, not on the inside, that you have given us this power. God, there are people that are in this room that have constantly been looking inside, and looking inside, and it's nothing but despair, but today I pray that they would look outside themselves and stop blaming circumstances and other people, but rather today, through confession, through the power of the Spirit, say that I am broken and I need to change. God, I pray that today that some of us would experience the fullness on the inside. Some of us have been like that illustration, and we've been walking with our Father, holding your hand down the street, but today, I pray that we would experience what it is to be scooped up and to be loved. And God, I pray that our heart would break for what breaks yours. And that this church and that this nation are not the only Christians in the world, but we have a message that no matter your skin color, no matter your socioeconomic background, no matter where you're born or where you're from, that God loves you. Holy Spirit, have your way with us today. We pray all of these things in the holy, in the precious, and in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, if you're a baptized father,